This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England supporters podcast. There's never a quiet moment following England, is there? Even when there's no games on, there's always something to talk about. I've tried to steer clear of rumours over the past few weeks and months, but I think we're up to about episode 37 of the continuing saga of the European Championships 2020 or 2021. But April 23rd, St George's Day of all days, UEFA hit supporters with another bombshell by releasing a statement for fans who had purchased a Follow My Team ticket. This news was, and I quote, Considering the location for most knockout matches is unknown until completion of the group stage and the existing significant travel restrictions, UEFA has decided to cancel and refund all Follow my team tickets. Yeah, cheers. For those of you who don't know what a follow my team ticket is, it's a conditional ticket allowing fans to attend a knockout stage match of their team independently of the location of the match. If the team is eliminated before that match, fans receive a reimbursement for the corresponding ticket after the tournament. Now, importantly, the quota of follow my team tickets for the knockout stage matches will remain reserved for the fans of the qualified teams, which will, subject to the rules of the respective fan clubs, i.e. the England Supporters Travel Club, still give them the opportunity to purchase tickets at a later stage should their team progress and should their travel restrictions permit them to reach the match venue at short notice. (laughs) It's just confusion after confusion. So cancel and refund all follow my team tickets. As I said on a tweet, I couldn't bring myself to open my account. But I had to eventually, just to see what was going on. And to my surprise, my tickets were still there, despite seeing various posts from England supporters who have said that their tickets have been cancelled. But rereading the email from UEFA... It appears refunds can take between three to ten days, so I guess I'm just in a uh, a process. It's like a roller coaster of emotions, much like the news of the European Super League a few days before. Have my tickets gone? Will I be able to go to games? How will a ticket be allocated? All these questions that not only I was asking, but pretty much every England fan who had tickets. But as per the UEFA statement, being the respective fan club. Credit to the England Supporters Travel Club. They came out pretty quickly and announced their way of allocating tickets. Wembley, as we've heard, is going to be used at a capacity of around 22,500. And their way of allocating tickets, to me, seems fair. But sadly, it's not going to please everyone. But they can't be blamed for the reasons that this has all come about. Now, they're going to be balloting for each game that England play in. So initially, the group games against Croatia, Scotland and the Czech Republic. Then, should we progress on a game-by-game ballot process? Now, this is going to be hard work for the supporters club. A lot of their time will be spent organising this for us, 
whilst we're celebrating wins, hopefully, uh, they're going to be sorting out tickets. But if you are unfortunate, please don't go giving them a hard time. This is more UEFA's doing. Now, sadly, I think a lot of corporate tickets will be floating around and they'll be taken away from genuine England fans who have travelled from pillar to post over the years. Now, the Supporters Club, they've used the membership scheme of 70%, 20%, 10% ruling and ballots from the Euro 2020 caps total. A reading from the Supporters Club terms and conditions, basically meaning that 70% of the ticket allocation will be offered to members with the highest number of caps who applied, i.e. those that have been to the most England games, home and away, over the recent couple of membership periods. And if you're unsuccessful in this first percentage, then the 20 and 10% come into play. 20% will be balloted to members who have missed out on that 70 and I think that members eligible for this ballot will be limited to those who have attended at least two away games and four home games in the 2018-2020 membership period. As I say, <laughs> I think. Um, the away games, they would have been Spain away in Seville, Montenegro where we won 5-1, Czech Republic where we lost 2-1, that game in Bulgaria, and Kosovo away. And it was an unfortunate period for away games as Croatia was behind closed doors and Montenegro and Kosovo were both small allocations. I'm saying this, I hope I've got that right. Otherwise, I'm going to sound a little silly. Uh, so, yeah, that's the 20%. And the 10% will be balloted to all members who missed out on the 70% allocation and the 20% ballot. And as yet, they haven't announced when these ballots for the group stages will take place but with time running out, keep checking your emails, your social medias, etc. And the Travel Club have issued another statement just answering general people's questions. So hopefully that will help if you go find that one. Whew. Then also the long-standing discussion regarding venues was finally confirmed as Dublin pulled out after admitting that they couldn't give UEFA the assurances of being able to host with minimum spectator levels. Their three Group E games have now been given to St Petersburg, who themselves were already hosting three Group B games. And the round of 16 match that Dublin was pencilled in for has now been given to Wembley, which could mean we play at home in that round of 16, should we win the group and which in turn takes Wembley's amount of games up to eight. Another change, although it doesn't affect England, was the four games scheduled for Bilbao have now been moved to Seville in the south of Spain, uh, who, like Dublin, Bilbao couldn't commit to allowing spectators. Now, Seville will also host Group E games featuring Poland, Slovakia, Spain and Sweden. And like ourselves, playing all our group games at home, Spain, well, they play all their group games in Seville. And the other game Bill Bow was due to host was the round of 16, and that too has been moved to Seville. So a very similar situation that Spain have uh, potentially to us. Reading all of this and hearing it all, part of me still thinks it would have been a whole lot easier if this tournament had been sacked off a long time ago. But I suspect that was never on UEFA's radar. And then one other piece of news that broke this week was the amount of players that Gareth Southgate will have at his disposal during this summer's tournament. 
of the announcement that squads have been expanded from 23 to 26. This based mainly due to the pressures of players caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. And this also goes with the news from last month from UEFA that during the tournament, up to five substitutions will be permitted. So with these three extra spaces opened up, it obviously gives Gareth more scope when it comes to selection. Those fringe players, or players he's given a cap here or there to, or someone perhaps he maybe wants to take a risk on. His Grealish now a shoe-in, injuries permitting. His Trent Alexander-Arnold now in with a shout. What about some of the younger players from the under-21s? One thing, I just hope that he doesn't waste a space by picking an extra goalkeeper. Do we need four? But looking back on 2016, initially 26 players were chosen. Then Roy Hodgson dropped Danny Drinkwater, Fabian Delph and Andros Townsend, reducing it to 23. And even then, during the tournament, from his 23, Fraser Forster, John Stones, Ross Barkley and Tom Heaton didn't make the pitch. Going back to 2012 in Ukraine, uh, again Roy Hodgson from the squad of 23, Martin Kelly, Leighton Baines, Rob Green, Phil Jones, Phil Jagielka, Stuart Downing and Jack Butland didn't make the pitch. Okay, two of those were keepers. And I could go back further in Portugal, 2004. Wayne Bridge, Paul Robinson, Jamie Carragher, Nicky Butt, Joe Cole and Ian Walker. They all just went for the ride. So do we really need the extra three players? I know these extra three spaces are just for this tournament, but it'll be interesting how this goes forward. Will it be 26 for the Germany Championships in 2024? Imagine the price of the Panini album then. Gareth will name his squad for the Euros, apparently the week beginning the 24th of May. Now let's crack on with the main focus of this episode. All around the world, there are England fans of all walks of life. We know that. Dotted around from New Delhi to New York, Paris to Panama City, from Gothenburg to the Gold Coast, which is exactly where we're heading now. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Portsmouth, an England fan and creator for NotYourAverageEnglandFan.com, Paul Letters. Paul, hello there. Hi, Russell. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, mate. Well, I say we find you in the Gold Coast, Australia. That's right, yes? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just near the border with New South Wales, about about an hour's drive south of Brisbane. I left uh, the UK in 2001 with my wife and uh, we lived in Hong Kong for 18 years and then moved to here to Australia a couple of years ago. Lovely part of the world. And, uh, and you still managed to follow England? Yeah, and there's obviously, you know, on TV more than anything, but yeah, occasionally uh, live and uh, yeah, always passionately and often, of course, in the middle of the night, uh, you, you do what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> Same with Portsmouth. <laughs> Same with Portsmouth as well. Yes, that's right. But when we made it to the FA Cup final in 2008, I flew back from Hong Kong for the weekend. I'm a teacher, so I couldn't take any time off work during term time, but I just left on Friday afternoon and got back straight into work on Monday morning. All good. Oh, (laughs) wow. What a journey. I bet uh, your students there were uh, impressed with your trip, were they? Yeah, I think probably the staff more so, but yeah, I think they were. (laughs) I bet that was a long week after that. 
Yeah, it was tiring, hard work. <laughs> and you're still a member of the England Travel Supporters Club, is that right? Yeah, when I lived in London in the late 90s, early noughties, I was a member of the England, I think it was just called the England Members Club uh, then, you know, for the home games. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just uh, about the first quite a few years in Hong Kong, I I didn't join the, the Travel Sports Club, but I did uh, yeah, a few years ago before the last World Cup. And uh, yeah, in the end, we didn't even end up using their tickets for the World Cup. We got uh, tickets through uh, FIFA for the England-Columbia game. So yeah, that was our, our highlight. That was the only England game we saw there. We saw Russia and Spain as well when um, Russia knocked out Spain. Yes, yeah, yeah. God, it all seems so long ago now, thinking about it. I guess with the uh, <laughs> the Euros coming up and, and the World Cup as well in, in Qatar, that sort of all takes precedent now. And, and you kind of look yeah. back, Russia think, oh, well, yeah, forgot about that. We, we had such a big trip planned for last year for the Euros and then, of course, rescheduled for this year where we got tickets for the uh, quarterfinal in Rome if England had, had topped their group and, and got through and then both semi-finals and the final uh in london but with the whole covid situation they even if we could get to the uk we they wouldn't let us back in australia so i've given that those tickets back got a refund such a shame such a shame but it's uh sadly it is under understandable yeah so i mean what are your earliest england memories First World Cup I remember anything about was 82. I was nine then. And i got to admit, I remember more about the uh, wall chart, the England wall chart. I had uh, you know, Mick Mills and Kenny Sansons and all the big moustaches and all of that. And then I do anything about the get the games. Although I, I, I remember the Brazil team probably more than the England team in terms of how they lit up that tournament. Yeah. And then yeah. 86, I was 13, the, you know, the hand of God. That was a heartbreaker at that age, as it was for so many of us. And then, yeah, Italian 90, a bit older, but it was still uh, watching that semi-final penalty shootout behind my friend's sofa, just telling myself I couldn't watch, but every time, you know, I did put, get my eyes on the TV screen for each penalty. <laughs> well, that was a bit heartbreaking as well, of course, but that's the way it goes as a football fan, I guess, especially in England. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're being over in, in Hong Kong and Australia, you, are you yet to experience the new Wembley? I guess it'll still be to you. Uh, no, I was there for that FA Cup final two thousand eight. Yeah, that was the the new Wembley. But you're right; I've not seen England play there. I've seen I saw them play quite a few games in the old Wembley, but mm. not in the new one. So, was Russia the the first World Cup that you went to? We went to the two thousand and two World Cup ah. in Japan, you know, Japan South Korea. But being teachers, we can only travel during the school holidays, and so the tournament didn't fit because it's like june and the the school holidays when we're teaching in hong kong was very similar to the uk it would be like late july before the holidays start so we just went for a weekend so we got tickets for a quarterfinal match which england would have got to had they progressed by if they had beaten nigeria do you remember that nil nil game the last group game and it was so so dull yeah i was there (laughs) god okay I do remember it, but it's one of those ones that I try and put out to the uh, the back of my mind. Yeah, it was so dull. <laughs> Very hot. Yeah. So then they ended up playing Brazil and getting getting knocked out, of course. Uh, and meanwhile, we're on a plane over to Japan and we get to watch the mighty um, Turkey versus Senegal quarterfinal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say mighty Turkey done well that World Cup, didn't they? 
Yeah, no, they did. Yeah, yeah, they obviously made it to the to the semi. So yeah, they did do well. I shouldn't I shouldn't slight them. They did do well. <laughs> so, but obviously, more recently, um, Russia 2018. Now, just looking at your the, at the website, not your average England fan there's a a feature that the that the BBC done about you. I believe it was was it is it Jane Derbyshire? I think her name was. Yeah, it was uh, Victoria Derbyshire. It was on her. Yeah, it was on her show, but it was actually it was also on just BBC World News all around the world. I got these messages from different friends in different continents saying they just see me on BBC World News. Yeah, they they got um, they wanted to follow someone in a wheelchair, so I've got like a, a nerve impingement in my leg, which came around when I was in my thirties, and um, they wanted to see what it was like traveling around a World Cup, in, obviously in Russia, in a wheelchair. So they sent a a crew with me um ashley john baptiste was the sort of interviewer presenter sound guy and a producer and they, yeah, they literally spent the whole day from from breakfast until um yeah after the game at night with with us and sort of doing a bit of t- tourist stuff in the first half of the day and then football later on um so yeah it was, it was good fun it's also um you know moscow is not a wheelchair friendly place the people were really helpful. And I had when I went to a train station, for example, there were a team of at least three guys. There was no lift, but there was an escalator. So they were propping me up on my wheelchair on this escalator. And when there was a flight of stairs, they were like carrying me up it in the chair. Yeah, it's a, a lot of a lot of work. But yeah, they couldn't do enough to to help me. But of course, whether any of that was because I had a BBC TV crew with me, I'll never know. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate that you yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't really know. And I mean, those those escalators in the Moscow metro stations, I've been on those before, and, and sometimes they can take like two minutes to get from top to bottom. So for uh, for a grown man as yourself in, in in a wheelchair, being being held by uh, some maybe some burly Moscow um, lads would have still taken some effort and and that to get around. Yeah, it certainly. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, I'm lucky in that I can get out of my chair, I can step out of it and take a few steps if I need to up to a certain point. So, yeah, I, I know plenty of other people who can't get out of their chair. So if they hit a step or two, that's it. They, they you know, they, they can't carry on. But it was also in that situation as well as being hoisted up through that underground station. And uh, I remember at one point, my son was sort of maybe ten yards ahead of me. And the BBC were were filming him and talking to him, in, so I suppose interviewing um, him. I remember thinking, this is this isn't the average England fan experience, is it? I, I live in Hong Kong, and I'm here, you know, doing this in a, in a wheelchair around Moscow. And I suppose that's probably when I started thinking, is there a way to kind of give a voice to to that? Not your average England fan, and of course, we're all not your average England fan. We've all got those stories of uh, unusual experiences, and I want to encourage every, anyone who's not got a disability, who's not from any type of minority or whatever, to also get in touch if they've just got an interesting England story to tell. It could just be about one match or one tournament. Could even be like a, a TV experience. The King of Thailand once uh, interrupted a, a World Cup match we were watching on the. Um, TV. We're watching it in Hong Kong in a, on a big screen at a bar, big crowd in because England's so popular over there, not just with the English people, which is another thing that kind of encouraged me to get this going. Um, anyway, and uh, we're, what we didn't know was that the pub we were watching in had a, a bit of a, a dodgy Thai TV feed that they were using. <laughs> right. And we got all the England build up and, uh, and just before, just before the game kicked off it's so it was england against portugal 
in the noughties. You'll be able to tell me what year that, that, that would have we been. We played, played them twice, didn't we, in the Euros and the World Cup with 2006. Yeah, that's it. 2006. Was that, that Ronaldo's winking? Yes, I think it was that the same one. And and the TV just went, cut the feed, cut away, just as the game kicked off. No. Uh, yeah, and I'd invited a load of friends to this pub. So there's like 20 of us there. So, yeah, because it was the king's birthday, apparently, in Thailand, they cut away to some ceremony celebrating his birthday. And it looked like it was you were settling in for the long haul of this. So I just said to everyone, let's pile in some taxis and come back to my place. So we had a, we had a proper feed on our cable TV at home. I'd made sure of that. But, uh, yeah, so it worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> All those people that would have missed out on the uh, on that game but but now know a little bit more about the Thai King's birthday, I guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it would have been. There would have been lots of people who didn't have the right kit cable TV channel at home who would have missed out on it. Yeah, you've no idea. Like we, You hear a lot in UK media. I, I, I follow a lot of UK media, BBC Sport and, and other things, and you hear a lot about how hugely popular the Premier League is in Asia, where I was living, of course, which, which it is. But you should be hearing a bit more about how popular England is. The number of England shirts you see worn around Hong Kong, Malaysia, went on holiday uh, to a lot in Singapore. And often I'd, I'd go in, up and just talk to people. And often they've never been to England. They've never been to an England match. But they're wearing, um, you know, the, the England shirts because they've picked that as their national team. So that was another thing. I'm thinking, not your average England fan. You don't have to be anything, right? You don't have to be in any particular box or category to be an England fan. Absolutely. And I guess you mentioned Asia and and that side of the world um, and their interest in English football. And we only have to look back to the past week, past couple of weeks ago, when uh, the European Super League was obviously announced, which was probably more angled at that that side of the world. Yeah, but from the, what I heard in from uh, Hong Kong media and friends, and then also talking to friends who are uh, Australian or from other places in Europe, for example, friend from Croatia, you know, there's, it's universal opinion here, just like it seems to be there in England, against the idea. So this idea that because we're abroad, somehow we might benefit from the European Super League, I haven't heard anybody really put forward that argument here. No. It's, it's interesting to hear that point of view from from that side of the world. Yeah, let's go back to to the website and and you've released a uh, an article on there with Marcus Harrison, who is um, a player for the the Power Chair Football side, the England Power Chair Football side. How did that come about? Well. When I started out, not your average England fan. dot com, it was only a few weeks ago, and of course, I was looking for different people to to follow on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook, and I really wanted to broaden the net. So I, I'm following amputee football, and just searching from some of the tweets. I don't remember exactly which one it was, to be honest, but just searching for different articles about different types of football, and I came across Powerchair Football. Yeah, I, I I didn't know anything about it until a, a few, really a couple of months ago or less than that now less than a couple of months ago and I saw uh, that they'd had a fantastic England had had a fantastic European championships in 2019 and that Marcus Harrison was a young player who was really a, a star in that side and uh, yeah so I just found him on on Twitter and yeah communicated straight with him and 
And uh, of course, you can do that. You can you can you can approach these the, these players. It might be a little bit harder for Raheem Sterling, but for me to get in contact with him. But um, it's great. Yeah, he's really accessible, and he had a you know just great um, story to tell. Yeah, so we've got that as our first kind of feature guest interview up on the blog. No, it's, it's it's an interesting article, and there's the link to the particular game in question against France, where where he scored the the winning penalty in a penalty shootout. And just to see the YouTube footage, it's probably the first time I've I've actually watched a uh, uh, or seen highlights of a game of power chair football, and it's it's quite interesting, really, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it really is. I mean, they had a England had a heck of a tournament. They were far from favourites. France were the world number one. France had beaten England 3-0 in the group stages. And so they meet France again in the, the final. England go 2-0 down. With 10 minutes left, they're still 2-0 two, two down before Marcus Harrison yeah, scores two goals, two assists from a guy called Ed Common. And uh, yeah, like you say, goes to penalties and Marcus ends up scoring the, the winning penalty as well. And yeah, it's a really fast uh, kind of sport where obviously it's a powered electric wheelchair with a kind of a guard sticking out the front that you you whack this oversized football with. And uh, yeah, it's really, really good to watch. So yeah, I recommend it yeah, on that YouTube. Is, that interesting. And, and what's the reaction been to it? Well, it's it's early, yeah, it's early days. I've only just actually put it up today, so a few a few hours ago, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I just start, just started before we came on uh, here, just uh, tweeting it out and uh, putting it out on um, various uh, social media. But you know, it, it's early days. I, I've got I've done other kind of social media ventures before, away from football. I know it takes a while to build up a a following, but this is our beginning. No, I wish wish you all the best with it. And I mean, is there anyone else that you've approached to to talk with in for the future? I started getting in touch with um amputee football England, but I've not we've not pinned down an actual interviewee yet, but I hope to pursue that. And with the Women's World Cup coming to Australia in, in 2023, I'd love to be able to kind of get involved in, in promoting that and get in touch with any any players, particularly young up-and-coming uh, players. Yeah, so uh, it, I'd like to see how far we can go with this. Yeah, would be good. And yeah, let's we'll keep tabs on that one. And yourself as a as a wheelchair user, you you had a little uh, a little run in with FIFA. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And for the 2018 World Cup, we uh, were trying to get tickets uh, beforehand through through FIFA, and uh, it transpired that if you were just going for a kind of regular seating tickets, you could apply for up to four tickets for any match. Yeah. We're a family of three. My son was nine at the time, and. For the disabled, any type of disabled seating, I was going for easy access, which is where you transfer out of the wheelchair and sit on the back row, sort of thing. Okay. Um, and you could only apply for two tickets, so that that's the maximum that we could do. So I actually ended up putting two applications in for the same uh, seating area, the easy access uh, seating. And in doing that, I had to because you could only do two at a time, you had to have one person in each booking who's disabled. So on that second booking, I put my son, my son or my wife, my son probably down as disabled, but I immediately allowed you to write a note in explaining that you've, you know, uh, well, I explained the situation. I couldn't book three three tickets there and, and so on. So 
anyway, we're, we're out at a bar a few, probably a few weeks later. My phone goes and it's the FIFA ticketing Manchester. And they say, congratulations, you've got um, your three tickets for, uh, for, for, the, uh, for these games that you've applied for. Brilliant. So we then book off, put the phone down next day, book the flights, book the hotel. A week later, they phone back and say, you can't have those tickets because you cheated on the booking by saying there's two disabled people and there's only one. Hmm. And like I say, I explained it in my attached notes straight away, no delay whatsoever. And there was no other way to do it. But the head of ticketing didn't accept my explanation. So my wife said, well, why don't we tweet it out? And at the time, she had 29 followers on Twitter. And I was sort of you know, thinking, really, is that going to get us anywhere? I don't know, back, back then. And, um, she, but she did, and she tweeted it to the BBC Sport and to Baroness Tanny Gray-Thompson and to various others. And uh, they were just straight back. Within hours, we had various members of the House of Lords communicating with us, telling us how outrageous that is. We had the BBC onto us. And then we had media we hadn't even tweeted it to, like Sky and, and some UK newspapers um, showing interest. And so, and the BBC contacted FIFA for comment. And then they lined, the BBC lined us up for a TV interview a couple of days later. And they told FIFA, whatever time on Tuesday, we're going to be interviewing this family. What have you got to say about it? And FIFA didn't say anything at first, but at the last minute, just a few hours before the interview would have taken place, they contacted the BBC and us to say, we're going to make a special exception in this case, and we're going to let you have the tickets. And um, I was I was told in the middle of all this, what I should have done was just book a single ticket for my nine year old son in the on the other side of the stadium. Oh, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to be fair, they corrected it. And I tried to push them to say, look, can you look at this for next time? Because we, we won't be the only family, the only you know, people disabled who want more than two tickets if you if they can get them for their family. And eventually got what it came across as a bit of a begrudging, yeah, yeah, we'll look at that for the future. But I really hope they do for Qatar. And um, if I if it's po- possible for me to get a, a voice in that, if they want to hear it, I am available. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we need people like that to to explain the situation. And if to have an England fan that's taken on FIFA and won, then... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Um, yeah, it, it, it did feel good in that, in that aspect. And we're... At the time we were listening, my son was really into Imagine Dragons and we listened to a song called Whatever It Takes, which is a really uplifting anthem. And it became like a, a football anthem to us. So we were playing it then as much as we could when we eventually got to Russia as well. And, uh, yeah, you, yeah you, you, those kind of things stick with you. Good stuff. Great. Uh, and is that where the sort of BBC kept hold of you, as it were, Victoria Derbyshire, and, and then they picked up on you to, to follow you around Russia for the day? That's right. The, the kind of the contact we made in the BBC then later on asked if I, we'd be interested in having this TV crew follow us around Moscow. And yeah, they, they put us in touch. That's right. So yeah, we had a great day out. My son had had fun, um, you know, floss dancing whilst we were waiting for different things with the with the presenter, yeah, who himself was he's just like a singer as well. So he was a bit of a show busy kind of side to him. It was all all good fun. And we got to see whilst we were there, you know. England win their first penalty shootout, right? Or their only still penalty shootout in the World Cup. And that, so that was just an amazing occasion. I can't tell you just, you know, when you don't 
get those well for, the, for me the first time to be in that, that stadium outside of England belting out three lions when England you know win a, a World Cup game that's just yeah fantastic spine tingling spine tingling <laughs> and Marcus Marcus Harrison in that interview I did earlier he didn't know anything about about that about me but I asked him about his England uh, memories and this is watching on TV. He said how, yeah, and the 2018 World Cup was amazing, especially that, that Columbia game. That was just brilliant. And yeah, I kind of brought it all back for me as well, which was nice. <laughs> oh, great. I mean, and, and going forward, obviously, we know about the, the European Championships moved from last year to this year. Um, and, and what are your thoughts there? What, in terms of how England are going to do? Or? Yeah, how, how yeah. can England do? I think I feel like um, a, lot, a lot of fans on the one hand, a lot of credit to Southgate for getting us to the World Cup semi-final. He's obviously yeah, a, a good manager. On the other hand, I fear that he won't play more than sort of more than one or two creative players at the same time. That well, more to the point, I'll have two holding midfielders. Um, I'd love to see Grealish and Foden in the same starting eleven, but it's not gonna happen, is it? Mm. Wow. Well, <laughs> you'd like to think it will. Um, but yeah, perhaps perhaps that's not his not his thinking, but but you yourself, you're you have a uh, an interesting family dynamic, don't you, within your family that might come into play come the England second game. Oh, of course, yeah, because my wife's Scottish. That's yes. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, I remember we watched England when England played Scotland home and away in the early noughties qualification for would it be. Tell me, what would that have been so for? That, I believe that would have been for Europe. We had home and away in, was it 1999 for 99, okay. yeah. qualification to the Euro 2000, I believe, where, where we won in Scotland and Scotland won in England, but we went through 2-1, yeah, I believe. Exactly. So, yeah, we were watching the, the away game for England, so obviously in Scotland, in a mm. pub in, in Chelsea, obviously packed with England fans. And... Uh, yeah, it got it got a little unpleasant actually, a little bit uncomfortable. Some of the kind of the the kind of the the, the, the chanting, you know, stand up if you hate Scotland type stuff. So I've learned from that. We'll just uh, yeah, not not watch it in a in a pub in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we both in our family, we we yeah, we all support each other's uh, teams. So um, obviously, when we're playing England against Scotland, we'll support our own teams. But apart from that, we'll be rooting for each other. Yeah, I guess guess from your perspective, it doesn't happen too often, does it? But when it does, it it does matter. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just for ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like when Wales uh, played us not long ago in that tournament, and if if they if they beat England, then yeah, that if Scotland were to beat England, they wouldn't care so much about what happens in the rest of their tournament <laughs> they, most Scotland fans would probably take the England win rather than say uh, a route to the quarterfinal but lose to England <laughs> I think you might be right yes <laughs> just remind us of where we can find Not Your Average England fan on on all the socials yeah so the website's just notyouraverageenglandfan.com and then we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so yeah Please, please do get in touch. Um, any story, small, you know, story or, or a massive experience, whatever. You know, it could be a life story or just a one-off match. It'd be great to hear from you. But we're also tweeting out for fans who live abroad the kickoff times and also the TV channels where they can watch games. 
because I know as I was an England fan abroad, that's always uh, you know what what have I got the right package or is it gonna, you know is it going to be on a sensible time and that whole side of things. So um, it's just something that pe- your listeners who who live abroad might might find useful wherever they are in the world. I've already done it for uh, the recent recent games, so I'll, I'll kind of in the headline I'll make a big deal about sort of Canada, USA. Um, Australia, maybe New Zealand, South Africa, but I was also there's a website I found which which has lots of smaller countries on there as well, where you can put in the yeah the England game. Well, I I can put it in, so I well I just paste that link. So to say that if you want to wherever else you live, have a look here. Yeah, no, handy for England fans all across the world because as I say we know there are plenty. Yeah, it's I I find myself doing that probably as more than anything else when I'm searching for stuff about England. It's easy to find yeah, match reports and you know all the usual stuff. But before the games, when you're trying to work out which provider is it on, and uh, you want to make sure you've got the right time zone in the right uh, you know country and whatever, then uh, yeah, I spend quite a bit of time doing that. So I figure there must be lots of other people doing that as well. So I'll just spread the word. <laughs> Us living in England, we don't know how lucky we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different experience. Having been an England fan in England and then in London specifically, and then uh, yeah, being one abroad, it's obviously a, a different different experience. But it's all all good. Great, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll link to that on on all of the on all of our own Three Lines podcast social media accounts. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for your time. Um, let's hope come the summer that. Um, that we're all celebrating together and uh, and your website continues to grow. Yeah, there will be that just that tinge of, oh my, I should be there at Wembley if we win there in the final. But obviously I am rooting for England. It would just be uh, amazing just if we, if this England team could win something. It would be great, wouldn't it? Once in our lifetime, that's all we ask. Yeah, that's all we ask. <laughs> Too right. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Russell. You're welcome. Thank you very much to Paul there for his time. We managed to make a nine-hour time difference work. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Go and check out notyouraverageenglandfan.com and give them a follow on all the social media channels. And whilst you're there, don't forget to give Three Lions Podcast a follow on the likes of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And if you tuned in for the first time, welcome along. Thank you very much for listening, as indeed to everyone. I hope you've enjoyed it. All previous episodes are available at threelionspodcast.com. If you've liked what you've heard, why not tell your friends? Why not give it a review on the likes of iTunes? And with the Euros on the horizon, there are plenty more episodes in the pipeline. And as some of you may have seen on Twitter, I had my first COVID injection. Uh, I'm almost Euros ready. So please do your utmost to get yours as and when it's offered to you. Vaccinations go up, cases going down. Hopefully, as a nation, we'll all be standing tall again very soon. And I'll be back very soon, hopefully chatting with another England fan with some stories to tell. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So until then, take care. Stay safe. Cheers. Cheers.